that podcast growling. Mean and angry. Hear that co-host shouting. It's Dater and Jim. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Junior Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Thursday of Falcons Week. What's going on, Jay? Oh, I'm excited too. This is this is a big week for me. I am finally cat free again. We moved my daughter into her first place that she bought, and she took her two little miscreants with her. So uh, it's it, it's it's a great life. Yeah, you know Joe Burrow, cat guy. We found out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, Jay Morrison, not cat guy, or dog, or fit. I just not not a pet guy. Not a pet guy. Anti-dog? I'm not anti. I just look, I, every, if if you have a pet, they are a hassle. Everybody knows that. But people love them and, and their love for them outweighs the issues that come with them. I don't love them. So for me, it's just about the the nuisance part. And I just I, I think they're great for kids. They teach compassion and responsibility and all that. But I don't have kids anymore. Yeah. You know, we, my dog, Uncle Phil. Uh, Great name, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 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 dishonorable Philip uh, Ezekiel Banks Daner Jr., as he's uh, known in his official formal name, or as he's often called, one thing too many around our house. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that's how he often goes when when uh, when all hell is breaking loose. It's always when Phil then joins some sort of whatever's going wrong uh, is when it becomes one thing too many and it's time to go hang out out back for a little while. Uh, but anyway, uh, all right. Happy that you don't have the cats with you. Uh, congratulations on that. Hopefully it'll uh, clear up your sinuses. <laughs> Uh, we've got some news to get to. Uh, we'll jump into that. Some good news, actually, for the Bengals. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, I have a piece up on third downs that I spent far too much time and brain energy <laughs> on this week. Uh, but uh, there's a lot to it. We talked a little bit about it earlier in this week, but I had not mm-hmm. even scratched fully the surface uh, at, until uh, really getting in through the locker room and talking to a bunch of people yesterday. Um, we're going to talk a little about Joe Mixon uh, and... Uh, something that he did this past weekend and something that he has done over the last two weeks. Uh, Josh Kendall, who covers the Falcons for us, going to join us. Excited to have him on. Talk about everything going on with Atlanta, and we will start to preview, well, we will preview that game that is coming up Sunday at Paycor Stadium at 1 o'clock. Jay, a game at Paycor Stadium. How about that? Yeah. In, well, it, first one a, this month. If, first one in a long time, it seems like. I mean, you you – Two what four of the first six were on the road and two straight road games and you go it was like a back Thursday a two September and a half 29th. weeks to yeah, yeah it was so that you're, Thursday you're way back um we've got we're gonna have our Arby's of course it will not live up to the the high no. bar that was set on Tuesday at least not <laughs> in energy and words spoken by me uh and Jay you didn't even get to do Arby's last week because I totally commandeered the entire segment so we'll have a chance yeah. for you to crack back yeah I I, I I'll. Just roll over the one I had from from Tuesday. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Jay's got stats. Jay's got good stats uh, also that you're going to like. Uh, we will have our growler bet, two run passer boots, and offer our predictions for Sunday's game. Uh, let's start with the good news, though, Jay. Good news. 
Uh, I mean, there was legit concern about what could be going on with Logan Wilson. Um, you know, shoulder injury, same type of thing seen last year. Just had surgery on it, came back at the beginning of this season. There's a possibility that could be a season ender if it ends up being a surgery situation. And yet on Wednesday, uh, you know, we Zach Taylor comes out and says, day to day, I'm not even rolling him out for this week. You know, I probably not going to play this weekend would be my guess. Um, but the fact that you're talking about that kind of a time frame and not an IR time frame, at least not at the moment, unless this is going to turn into the uh, Joe Mixon 2020 saga of day to day for two months, I don't think so. Uh, that's very, very good news, um, considering what this could have been for a key player on the Bengals defense. Yeah, it really is. It, it seemed the, the way he made it sound on Monday seemed like it, it was going to be going down that road of best case scenario IR. Um, I'd be shocked if he played this week. Um, it, I mean, yes, they could use him against one of the best, the best, if you look at DVOA, rushing attacks in the league. But I, I just it doesn't make sense to rush him back. I, if if he is truly day to day, and I, I would think they would point more towards that that Browns game, and you get the extra day of rest with the Monday night, and um, I just I like Zach wouldn't rule him out because he wouldn't. He, I don't think he's playing games. He doesn't typically play games in that regard. But I just I, I think the Browns game is best case scenario. Yeah. Um, Jamar Chase showed up as limited uh, with a hip, um, so we'll we'll track that as the week goes on. But I'm gonna guess just minor dings, uh, where you, no need to do everything uh, from the game. You always worry when you see uh, a limited, particularly on Thursday when they weren't limited the day before. That means something could have happened in practice. This is probably just a minor ding from a, a pretty busy day of work for him on Sunday. Yeah, they just let him go go easy yesterday, and um, I, don't, I don't think there's any concern there. If he even if he had sat out, any time a Wednesday, we see this. I mean, with Collins not practicing on Wednesdays, and he started every game. It's just you're, you're right. A, a Thursday injury report uh, issue, limited, did not practice. Whatever it might be, is a much bigger concern. Yeah, um, Joe Bocci cleared yeah. from PUP. Uh, so that's kind of the backfill for Logan Wilson that you would expect. He's he's in the window, so they don't have to activate him uh, this weekend. But you know, with the thought of Wilson probably not playing, get him up in the mix. They have a roster spot um, mm-hmm. that that they can fill. So there's there's plenty of moves that they can make uh, to to make things happen if they feel like Wilson's not going to go. Bocce comes up and backfills in, and um, you know he played he played really well and made a lot of fans and on, on the staff last year, so they would have zero problem sticking him right into the mix. Yeah, and he's I mean I know it's different, but he's looked really good on the rehab field for a while. And, yeah, um, I do think that he even though they just cleared that or opened that window, um, I do think he could play if need be. Um, well before the 21 day window closes, but you're right. It's you've got Marcus Bailey. You, you've got Clay Johnston. Akeem Davis Gaither is, is going to probably be the starter for Logan Wilson. If Logan can't go, but it, they, they would want to go into that game with five linebackers if they could. And Bocce would make the logical, be the logical decision to be, take that 53rd spot and, and be active on, 
on Sunday. Yeah, Zach Taylor basically said, you know, he's been really understanding of the situation, aka, mm. look, we're stashing you until we yeah. need it. And and we know you're healthy. You've been healthy. It sucks that you're sitting here on this PUP, but just hang out, hang tight. We have you in our plans. And I think that's and then he shows up now. So that that's part of that. Uh Joe Burrow press conference yesterday. Um not a ton of stuff. Uh, not super interesting interesting necessarily. Um outside of a lot of questions about what we're about to talk about on third downs. But one thing was, you know, kind of talking about this stretch of three games, and we've been talking about this going into the bye. He said this three-game stretch can pretty much be the difference in how our season goes. You know, that's really kind of echoing what we've been talking about, right? I mean, because of the slow start, because of the way they lost some of those early games they should have won, and the aspirations that they have – Getting to the bye at at least five and four, and he, you know, he sort of obviously pointed out six and three, and and need to do that. And but getting there when you know what the stretch at the end of the season is, and how many backup quarterbacks they've played, how many times they're having the best quarterback, including in these next three games, it really is. I totally agree with him, but you know, him kind of coming out there and say it, I think, always puts a little bit more pressure on it. Yeah, and I, I think. People would be happy with five and four, but a five and four with the one loss being to Cleveland is a lot different than a five and four with the loss being to Atlanta or Carolina. And even then, you, I think a lot of people would be kicking themselves for a loss to Carolina, who seems to be the worst team in the league right now. And Atlanta was projected to be one of the worst. And yeah, they're three and three, but they, they, it just feels like they can't lose that Cleveland game. Even if they're five and four at the break, if the, if they lose to Cleveland, they're 0 and three in the division. It's going to make it really tough to, to repeat. Yeah, because as we've said, it just has a feeling that this thing's going to come down to a tiebreaker with mm-hmm. the Ravens probably. But you never know what could happen with the Browns if uh, if they can win enough games and Watson comes back and is very good. You don't who knows. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's five and four with a loss to Atlanta. Say feels definitely okay. Uh, mm. more, far more than five and four with a loss being to the Browns. That's a good point there. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, it, but interesting from Joe. Outside of that, um, he did point out. I I was quick to make sure to start by asking him about his ball spin celebration um, <laughs> and his thoughts on it. He realized that he has some improvement to do. Uh, Joe Mixon pointed out that it was really an accuracy issue. And, and when Joe Mixon spins the ball, he spins it well because he gets it out there in front of him. Jamar Chase does that too. He didn't get it. He was just he said Joe was just too excited to be spinning it, hit him off his leg, whatever. But then it was quickly pointed out Jamar Chase had the far worse celebration. It is really being under discussed how yeah. poor his punt celebration was. Uh, so bad that it saved him $15,000, as Joe pointed out. Wanted to also say that Jamar knows. Jamar knows how bad it was. And and there's no need to talk, to talk anymore about it. I, I mean, the execution was poor, but I think the fundamentals were poor, too. Even if he had connected on that punt, I'm not sure it would have gone in the crowd. He was he was facing the, the long side of the field. <laughs> he may have just kicked it over to the sideline and not got it in the crowd. But, uh, yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's a weird... Uh, entry on the NFL fine schedule. If you throw or kick a ball into the stands, it's fifteen thousand dollars. It's not because of the the loss of the ball. It's because they're worried about it possibly injuring somebody. Um, and and we have seen players get fined for that in the past. So Jamar should be lucky that he whiffed on that punt. 
<laughs> All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Jay has a story coming out of comparing stats between last year and this year. Just keep an eye out for that coming out. My story is up right now on third downs, and we can talk a little bit about that. Again, we, we touched on this briefly earlier in the week, um, but I do want to kind of dive a little bit more into it. Um, look, the this is the best third down conversion rate that the Bengals have had um, since we can track back, since it's searchable. Uh, mm-hmm. Back to 1991, Jay, you tracked that down yesterday. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. And part of that is state of the league, right? I mean, there's a lot of things happening. The NFL is really having a shift here this year. The defenses are sort of cracking back um, against the offensive revolution, figuring out ways to slow it down, turning it into much more of a game of these long drives, which creates far more third down and manageable-ish situations um, just because of the nature of the way teams are able to take checkdowns and give easy yards. So I think that plays into it a touch. However, it still is remarkable how good they have been and how good Joe Burrow has been. The interesting thing, to me, the most interesting thing was really it, it, it flew in the face of everything we thought um, I shouldn't say flew in the face. It really supported everything that we thought. And that is to this team, to this brand of Bengals offense and the type that they're going to continue to play, down and distance on third down is as important for them specifically as any other team in the league. It's why when you look at them being dead last in the league in first down DVOA through the first five weeks and just having awful first down after awful first down, you can see where the unevenness of the entire offense was coming from because when you break down their third down conversion by distance, you see Joe Joe Burrow's superpower and you see Mm -hmm. this offense's superpower. Third and three and in, he is first in every category epa per play completion percentage is 93.3 uh you name it you know first down rate all of the things that matter to you there no interceptions they have been so good on that and then you pull it back to four to seven and out of the top 20 qualifiers, he's, he's eighth, ninth, you know, same thing in the middle. It's more middle of the pack, been pretty good in the long ones, actually, mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the league. But, you know, when they don't get there, when they don't get to that third and three, it's more of a slog. And it makes sense when you think about it, Jay. This team's specialty is quarterback's quick processing, understanding what he's seeing, and the receiver's ability to win quickly and their offensive weakness, the line can't hold that long. So when you Mm. don't have to hold that long on third and three, it becomes a game of Burrow and the receivers versus the other defense. And it takes the line far more out of the equation. That's why they're so lethal in those spots. The problem is they just have not gotten to that spot near enough and that goes back to the first and second downs getting better and that's why the last two weeks is they've gotten better at that and taking the check downs and getting the more manageable distances the entire offense has 
really taken off. It's it's an interesting. You're kind of seeing the path to how they play to their strengths that way. And it's, I mean, it's weird to say, but it almost seems like the defenses are playing into their hands by doing this to these two high shells and taking away the deep ball. And it seemed like it was something that was, was frustrating them early. The, the, the light boxes are enabling them to get this running game going. And this, this approach is nothing new for the Bengals. I mean, how many times have, have we screamed about the second and long runs in years past? And it's because of that exact reason. They want to get in third and manageable. They don't, they're not expecting a second and 10 run to break for a first down, but they're, they're trying to get into third and five, third and four. And now they're getting there. They're, it, it's not a matter of first down incompletions and, 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 and then, the the run they're they're running on first down and second down at times just getting the little chunks that they need and, and the other thing is yeah you talked about how well Joe processes on third down I mean ty- you've got Tyler Boyd who's one of the best third down receivers in the league and you've got guys like Jamar Chase and T Higgins and they did it numerous times you can throw short of the chains with those guys and count on them to either make somebody miss or to drag a receiver or a defender or two to the marker. They've just got so many different ways that they can they can make these these third and shorts hit. And it is. It's it, it seems like a it is. It's it's a new way of going about it for them because of the way the defenses are playing. But it's it's not exactly a, a new approach because we we have seen them do this um last year, the year before. A lot of people screaming about the the running the ball on second and long um and that's why you do it to get in third manageable yeah and the the thing is i mean you say playing into their hands and there's a truth to that i mean because this should be easy for them like getting Mm -hmm. underneath stuff should be easy no one interesting thing that kind of fascinated me was i was asking ted karras about it and he said you know we're Third and three and less is really unique for us specifically because of our weapons. Because, you know, one, they can't load the box because they're scared of that. And two, like Joe has just proven he'll take his shot on that. If you want to come and press man or come tight on the receivers on third and three, he has no problem throwing over top of you. Hell, he was going to do it on fourth and one in the Super Bowl with the game on the line. Like that dude ain't scared to throw it over top if you want to press up on the receivers on a third and short. And they know that. Defenders know that. These guys that are coming out there for Atlanta this weekend, they know that. So when it's third and two or three, uh, in the back of their mind is all the tape they were shown of Burrow taking shots on those situations when defenders come up. And what happens? It creates just enough space for the three freak shows to do freak show things and make contested catches or Boyd make a savvy move right on the line or Higgins go over top of somebody back shoulder, whatever that is. I mean, that's just enough space to make them so successful and for him to hit a, a stupid 93.3%. <laughs> you know, but really, you know, I think the concern is when we talk about the Falcons and really everything going forward is, was that Saints game a blip, right? Because it is. It's an outlier for them right now from first down success rate. I mean, their first down success rate was 31 against the Steelers, 27 against the Cowboys, 
34.5 against the Jets, 33.3 against the Dolphins, 35.7 against the Ravens, and then 59.3 against the Saints. It's an outlier. And now maybe they're figuring it out. And maybe it is the RPOs and the shotgun runs and so much that we spent time talking about this past week. But, you know, teams will adjust to that too. And so there's, you know, you know, Dave Lapham loves the adjustments to the adjustments. To the adjustments, yes. Loves those. Uh, I mean, that is part of where you end up with this. It's a chess match out there. Burrow loves that. But I think, you know, that's really that. It, when you boil it all back to the, you know, the, that meme of the, the one domino at the front, uh, and then the giant domino at the back, which my favorite one of those was bench Andy Dalton on his birthday is the first tiny domino. And the last one is Bengals in the Super Bowl. I, I do love that one. Uh, but, but this, you know, I think first down success rate is that for this entire Bengals offense, because they, first of all, they, if they could get it second and three is the greatest down for the Cincinnati Bengals offense. Mm. They can do everything. They feel like they have a first down in hand on third and three. It's a free open play. Take shots, do crazy stuff, whatever. I mean, they, they or or just do a simple run that they might not see coming against a light box. Like a, a first seven-yard gain on first down is the greatest play in the Bengals playbook because it just mm. opens up so many other things for them. Yeah, and and that those opportunities are going to be there this week. Uh, I, I don't want to give away too much with my conversation with Josh K- Kendall, but this Falcons defense is doing it with smoke and mirrors. I don't know. I mean, they just they are they are so low, ranked so low in so many key metrics. It's you almost scratch your head how they're doing it, and a lot of it is because the the run game is able to, to shrink the games. But um, I do I think. This could I, I said last week I, I thought they were gonna un they were gonna hit 30 for the first time. This could this has the potential to be the week where it doesn't make New Orleans look like an outlier and, and could be the return to, to the big explosive uh offense that we've grown accustomed. Yes, this is the way it seems like they're gonna operate with with what they did against New Orleans and just these long drives, but that that Falcons defense is susceptible, and and you 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 see the adjustment to the adjustment. Atlanta's going to be watching that film and see how they how the the Bengals did move the ball down the the field successfully in short increments. Maybe they do try to pressure and 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 get out of some of those two highs. And uh, I just I think this is this is ripe for for a Bengals explosion. The moment they leave too high, Joe Burrow is just mm-hmm. doing a dance. You know, yep. I don't know which one it is. But uh, he's doing something. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, which because I touched on this briefly with Mo on Tuesday, but I wanted to go the dive, the further dive I did into this before we talk about Joe Mixon. Plays that define games, right? Plays that swing games. Third down red zone plays. Four-point plays. The Bengals have 14 of them this year. Burrow, it's when it's when he's willing to do whatever, right? He's going to hold the ball longer. He's going to be willing to take a hit. He's going to try to spin out of something. Maybe he takes a sack or two. But it's when, you know, he's, we've spent a lot of time talking about how he feels he's getting better at, and they've really stressed to him, can you take a few less hits? Can you just get it out of your hands a few more times and not worry about trying to make every play? Except, and he said this specifically yesterday, 
those spots when he tries to get more creative and Backyard Burrow shows up. My new nickname. You like that, Jay? Yeah, I love it. I love Backyard it. Backyard Burrow. I think that's it. You see these plays, the third and four to Tyler Boyd, right? The 19-yard mm-hmm. touchdown run against the Saints where he's going to hold it longer. He's not going to just check it down and get rid of it. He's not going to just try to go through his prog- progression. He's going to try to make something happen. Third down red zone. 71.4% either a touchdown or first down. That is first in the league. Miami is second at 66.7. Tennessee has 60. They're the only ones within shouting distance. Mm. It's remarkable. Four-point plays over and over and over again. High leverage situations. I mean, think about that. Seven of the 14 are touchdowns. That is a seven times four, 28-point differential in high-leverage situations where Burrow is crushing it, you know, compared to the rest of the league down at a far lower level. He, these, these are his spots The where Jamar Chase says he just has so much poise under pressure, and he just has so much poise in the pocket. And you saw that specifically on the run on third and 19. He never freaks out. He always waits. To, he knows how to find the last possible second to either run or make a throw or whatever it is. And it's those are the plays, the high-leverage situations that are changing games, and you can see it specifically quantified right there. And the amazing thing is, I mean, you, you it, it's not just third down in the red zone. It's third down everywhere where he is willing to hold the ball longer. He is mm-hmm. willing to try to make something happen. Zero interceptions on third down. He's Correct. not putting the ball and he's putting his body in jeopardy. Sometimes <laughs> he's not putting the ball in jeopardy. Um, it's just it is. It's it's it, and it, you sometimes have to stop and think. I mean. What he's made twenty six starts, no thirty two starts. So he's he's not even at two full seasons yet in this league. When you when you look at total starts, um, and that's just that's it goes back to what you said: the poise, the intelligence. Yes, he's got some some riverboat in him, but he's not he's not forcing the ball into tight windows and, and getting picks. That um, you talk about the four point play that 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 cost you three points if you do that down in the red zone. It's just, it really is remarkable what what he's been able to do so early in his career. Understanding situational yeah. much better at this point now, right? I mean, it's understanding when he can do that, when he shouldn't do that. That's the latest evolution of Burrow and this offense. And 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 I, you're you're kind of seeing it happen before your eyes as the league adjusts to him and 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 he starts to figure it out. That's what this is about. Is Burrow going to figure it out? It appears he might be. Um, Let's switch gears here. Um, And I do want to talk about Joe Mixon a little bit, uh, who's averaging 5.6 yards per carry each of the last two weeks. This switch over, you know, to this gun, downhill gun run and kind of ditching the entire wide zone concept, which we've talked a lot about, um, has been such a big difference. But also in the process, you're just seeing Mixon run harder. Maybe harder is the wrong word. Run more effectively. Make some people miss more consistently. Do some things that give energy to everyone, that turn mm-hmm. a check down into a longer run, um, and that really make a difference. And those just, to be honest, weren't there the first four weeks. 
No. It just wasn't happening. He wasn't making people miss. He looked a step slow. We were starting to wonder openly on this show, obviously. Like, is is this is this is this the end? Is this hitting the hill? He's got a lot of carries on him. And I think the last few weeks, you've started to see a little bit more of the mix than you expect to see. There's one play in particular that certainly stood out to me. <laughs> and it was a check down on the sideline against New Orleans. And he does this absurd jump cut on the sideline where the dude just couldn't even touch him. And the entire Superdome let out a massive ooh. I mean, you could it, like you know seventy thousand people, both both teams fans, so everybody in the building. One of those, right? Just a, just very cool. I asked Joe Mixon about it, and also outed myself for being incredibly uncool in life. Uh, <laughs> here is that conversation uh, with Joe Mixon. Joe, I think I've covered every snap of your career. Mm-hmm. The jump cut on the sideline. <laughs> Where does that rank for you? Because I have it up there pretty high. Yeah, I mean that's. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna be honest, man. If, if, if I can get you know space like yeah, nah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. If I get space like that to where it's like clear as day, like one on one, like there's no question. Like I'm gonna win ten yeah. out of the ten times. You know what I'm saying? But and and I'm supposed to feel like I'm gonna win ten yeah. out of the ten times. I mean, that's just a capable player that I'm capable of being. But you know, sometimes it just be tougher. You know, sometimes you got defenders that want to use the sideline as you know their help, and sometimes it does be like that. And when it happens like that, you got to either make them pay by you know running into them or you know save yourself and go out of bounds so i mean if if i have more opportunities like that i mean i try to do whatever i can man to just you know make the most of them and um, i just look forward to you know being more of an outlet and a weapon to joe burrow which i know i can be that and i have been that for him so um just gotta keep on building and getting better in these certain areas i mean you make that play the entire dome gives up oh right like to to someone who's never experienced anything remotely that cool in my life like, what does that feel like <laughs> no nah, i mean i'm gonna be real man like it was like i was running the ball and usually like i don't i like tune like everything out like when i'm running the ball like it's literally just me focused yeah. and i literally hear nothing yeah but like that was one play where i could really just sit here like the whole crowd like Woo! and then after the play i'm like damn did the whole crowd just say Woo? Like, but i mean it was a it was a cool you know it was a cool thing but I mean, that's that's what I could do. I mean, yeah. if I get the opportunity like that, especially in space like that, I mean, I got to make them pay. You know what I'm saying? Jay, I don't think it's a secret that I've never done anything that cool before, <laughs> but I did feel a need to point it out just so he knows, like, you got to help people like us, right, uh, to understand it. Um, and I loved that. He's like, you know, normally I don't listen to any of it. Normally yeah. I don't hear anything, but that time I was like, did everybody just say, ooh? You know, like, I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, that... But he's right. He should expect that out of himself. And having that energy and the confidence that comes from doing stuff like that consistently, I do think kind of builds on itself with an emotional player like Joe is. Absolutely. And the the thing is, you talk about the energy he brings. Don't don't watch the way he runs the ball away from the line of scrimmage during the play. Watch the way he walks back to the huddle after plays when, when he's going well, it's almost like a little hop. He, I mean, he's got this, this extra to him and, and you can, it is, it's infectious to that team. Everybody sees him do the point and all that stuff when he gets up. But, 
But when he's going well, you can just you could you could watch him get up from a tackle and walk back to the line of scrimmage or back to the huddle and know how he's playing in that game without seeing any other play. It's just different when he's going. And he is that he is he's a big part of this offense X and O wise, but he's he's a huge part as far as energy goes. Um they, they feed off of him when he's rolling. Yeah, they really do. I mean, when he when he hops up and he's pumping his chest and then starts hopping mm-hmm. back to the to the yeah every that is the one thing where the energy feels different after when when it's yeah. a mixin centric thing when Mixon's making plays he does bring an energy that people undeniably feed off of. we've talked about that for years um, the other thing you know just to kind of back that up I mean if you go you go play by play or game by game. You can see the difference yards after contact. I mean, there was almost none through the first four weeks. I mean, it was it was a worse in the league, right? Hashtag thirty fifth. I think <laughs> during go back to that episode uh, from a couple of weeks ago where he was dead last in pretty much every metric that exists, um, including yards after contact. But the last two weeks, that's shown up three point three eight last week and two point five zero. I mean, he never had anything over what two point two, one point five. Like, you know, he in the first four weeks he there just was hardly any. And now you're really you're really starting to see that. And you're and that's producing some explosive plays. I mean he had two rushes of ten plus yards through the first four weeks. Uh he's got four the last two. Um you're you're starting to see that. And part of that is you know we mentioned the zone gap switch the last two games 18 rushes in the gap scheme that downhill out of the gun mm-hmm. stuff and only only three in the zone i mean it's just they've totally whereas before it was uh an even split in fact it was more zone than gap and now they're just leaning all the way in and uh i i would expect that to continue uh against the falcons yeah, because you're you're not looking for the the home runs and the the cutbacks to the to daylight. You're you're letting Joe do what he does best. He is a big running back and a physical running back, and just get him going downhill. Let him get in there, get an extra two and a half yards after first contact. They'll they'll live with that. Is that's that's how you get to third and short, third and manageable. And um, yeah, I I he he may not get to a thousand this year. And right now he looks far from it, but he's still going to be a, he's going to play a key role in what this offense does. What would be great? A Joe Mixon seven yard run on first down. Like I said, right. Yeah, exactly. three. I mean, that's just it. That is the ideal. I mean, outside of, you know, a real run where you're busting it. Up. I mean, but that is really in the course of this, the way their offense is going right now is a light box, two safeties back and they're just hammering it up the middle for seven yards and putting def- defenses in second and three against this offense over and over again. That's what brings an extra defender down, forces them in the single high, and gets Jamar Chase one-on-one, and off you go, right? That's that's kind of such a big part of it, and then you're seeing that the next, last few weeks. All right, let's just take a quick break. 
let's get into talking about this game. And that means talking to our good friend from Atlanta that covers us, Josh Kendall. Jay, you caught up with him. Uh, for the YouTube people, uh, the stream of this uh, is up specifically. Uh, if you want to go watch it on, watch the conversation on YouTube. You can see Jay's face quizzically nodding along as Josh <laughs> answers questions um, and, and judge Josh's background if you'd like to. All of that's up there for you if you want the video form. but Or you can just listen right now if you listen on the podcast. So here's Jay with Josh Kendall. Josh, how you doing today? Doing okay, Jay. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really intrigued by this game. And I want to start things off this conversation the way I start each trip to a bar. And that's with a shot. And I want to give you a shot of truth serum and ask you, how surprised are you to see this Falcons team with a Vegas line was four and a half wins this year? Uh, how surprised are you to see them at three and three right now? Very. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that the Falcons – Everybody, including Falcons fans, expected that at this point in the season, the Falcons would be one and five, and Matt Ryan would be on pace to be the MVP in the league. Because that's <laughs> how Falcons fandom works, really, generally, except for a few blips on the radar. So, and even those blips come with their own sort of pain. So that's what folks expected. They did not expect three and three, have won three out of four. Um, you know, inside the building, they kept saying, you know, we're not paying attention to that. We think we're competitive, et cetera, et cetera, <clears throat> which is what every team, good and bad, mm -hmm. says in the preseason. So you never know. They are interesting to watch, which I thought was going to be, you know, the high watermark for them. I thought they might not be very good. It might not win very games. But if they're interesting to watch, then that'll be a step forward. Well, they're not only interesting to watch, but they've won a few games. The NFC, especially the NFC South, is just a muddled mess. You know, we're kind of to the who knows section of the of the Falcon season. What do people get wrong about this team? Why, why are they so much more competitive than maybe what people expected, maybe what you expected? It comes down to the offensive line, which has been mm -hmm. able to run block very effectively. Still's not a great pass blocking offensive line, but it didn't do anything well. This team didn't do anything well last year. So my calculation, a lot of people's calculation was, you take you don't make any changes to the offensive line, save switching out veteran but bargain free agent Elijah Wilkinson for Jalen Mayfield at left guard. Not a huge change. So you don't make any change other than that up front. You switch out a 14-year former MVP quarterback for Marcus Mariota, who got benched the last time he played for Arthur Smith. So the thought process was the defense will be a little bit better. But that's not going to help because the defense was really bad last year. And the offense just has nowhere to go. Well, it turns out the, this, this offensive line can run block. They, they have figured that out. Marcus Mariota, plugging him into the run game, changes the math. He's effective there. So Atlanta all of a sudden has figured out a formula. It doesn't always work, but it has a formula, which is, we are going to run the, as Arthur Smith famously said on a, you know, on the sideline the other day, we're going to run the piss out of the ball. <laughs> we are going to limit the number of times we put the ball, we put the game on Marcus Mariota's arm, and we're going to just kind of play catch defense. By that I mean, you know, we're going to play soft. We're not going to get beat. We're going to hope that once you get down near the goal line and everything compresses, we can make a play and make you kick a field goal. And it's worked. I mean, number three run yeah. offense in the league. And um, I, I, 
I thought, I think a lot of people thought, maybe I'm interested to hear what, what you say, but we thought this could be a, De- a Desmond Ritter homecoming, that, that the there would be a quarterback change by this right. point. He would be coming back to Cincinnati as the starter. Um, just curious, I know Mariota outplayed him in in the preseason, but but how close was Desmond and how much of this is just not so much that Marcus has played well, but Desmond's just not quite ready yet. It was not very close in the preseason. That does not mean they are not excited about Desmond. They felt really good about Desmond, but they felt clearly felt much better about Marcus Mariota's experience in the offense ability to run the ball. Desmond, I, you know, I, I think it can give you something athletically, mm-hmm. but he's he's not the weapon as much as far as we've seen in the run game that Marcus Mariota is. But more importantly, it's just the knowledge of Arthur Smith's offense, the knowledge of the NFL game. They if the Falcons give Atlanta or excuse me, the Falcons give Mariota a lot of credit for getting them in the right looks, for getting the protection set in the correct way and keeping that run game moving through that. And they worry about a rookie being able to do that. At the same time, let's go back a week, just a week, and people were seriously wondering the same question you had because Marcus Mariota's completion percentage was 57%. He was second in the league in off-target throws. You know, he was okay, but, you know, he's clearly not the reason this team is winning. So there's some thought that, okay, let's inject the guy who's got the bigger arm, who maybe can give us more in the pass game and go up a level. Well, then Marcus Mariota comes out and is 13 of 14 uh, against the 49ers. They win that game. He's sort of exactly what Arthur Smith thinks he is, which is the guy to hold it together. So, you know, I, I don't think we're close to Desmond Ritter. I still think Desmond Ritter probably has to play this year because no matter what Atlanta says publicly, privately, they have to feel like they've got to know before the 2023 seat, before the 2023 draft. They've got to know if they've got the guy in the building before the 2023 draft. I'm not sure that that's Marcus Mariota going into the future. Mm-hmm. If they think it might be Desmond Ritter, don't they have to take a look? But as long as they're winning, they're not messing with that. They're you know, they're they're going to they're going to keep chugging along with this formula. And the other big question I have on offense and I think everybody fantasy players and, and probably a lot of Falcons fans is, you know, what, why Kyle Pitts, what highest drafted tight end ever, correct? Number four. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. I, mean, what, why, I mean, is it a matter of Mariota's limitations this year? Or you did have Matt Ryan last year. Why, why hasn't he had been a bigger part of, of this offense? Well, he was a big part last year. He led this team in, in receiving last year. It was a second tight end ever to have a thousand yards as a rookie. He just didn't score a lot of touchdowns Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. He only scored one as a matter of fact. Yeah. So that was the big drawback last year. Then this year. Yeah. You you sort of changed the equation. This team is second. This team is 31st in the league in pass attempts, 22.8 a game. It doesn't have a ton to go around. Um, Kyle Pitts was essentially a wide receiver last year. If you look at the numbers and the splits and where he lined up, he was not a tight. He was a tight end in name only. This year, they've moved him more in line because he's a better blocker, because he's got a better understanding of what they expect in the run game. I mean, he, he legitimately is a presence in their run game. And every time he is moved in to do that, to give them the look that they want in the run game, that takes a chunk out of those 22 pass attempts a game where he's he's not out in a route. He's still top 10, um, top five, I think, among tight ends and targets per route. This is just a run first, run second, and run third football team. Mm-hmm. 
And, and you have the rookie Drake London, who and Drake that, London has been really good. I mean, looks like he belongs. So yeah. you've got these twenty-two pass attempts per game. You got Kyle Pitts. You've got Drake London. You've got you know some some of those are scrambles. Some of those are this is like I say, this is still not a great pass blocking offensive line. So some of those twenty-two point eight ended up you know just kind of being chunked out to the to the check down. Um, it's it's a combination of factors, but but yeah, I mean, if you drafted Kyle Pitts early in your in your fantasy draft, I mean, I think the only thing I can say is I'm sorry, it's not going to get a lot better. <laughs> so I mean, but Pitts is a young guy. Uh, London's a young guy. There's there's youth on this team. I, how much of this is this team just kind of growing and believing? And because even the three losses have all been really close. Um, it's Right. Yeah. What they started with two close losses to uh, what New Orleans by one, and then the defending Super Bowl champs, Super Bowl champ Rams, and go to Seattle and get that that big win on the road. Is is this just first of all, how young is this team overall, and and is this a matter of a a team kind of finding itself and starting to believe? Yes. I mean, if you just look at the numbers in terms of age, Atlanta's about middle of the pack. Okay. In terms of in terms of actual youth. But if you look on the field and the guys who are contributing and the guys that they're excited about, those are young guys. So from Atlanta's perspective, they can feel good about that. But, yes, this is absolutely about belief system. They blew the big leads New Orleans. Arthur Smith was famously huffy after that game, and everybody kind of laughed at him. Um, then they almost come back against the Rams, but they're sitting there 0-2. And you're right. The, the Seattle game is where everything turned because – um, if you don't start getting some return on your investment at that point, who knows? Now you, you win that game, you beat Cleveland, two games you could have lost. I mean, last week was the first Falcons game that's been decided by more than a possession either way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're starting to believe believe in themselves. They've gotten a few breaks. Um, who, who knows? I mean, the Bengals, from my, from, the, from my perspective, as I was looking at the first seven games of the Falcons' schedule – looked like a real meat grinder because we thought some teams would be better, including the Bengals. You know, I had chalked this up as, as a pretty definitive L. You know, you write an L and pen if you're a mm-hmm. Falcons fan here at the beginning of the season. I don't think that this this Atlanta team goes up there feeling like it can't win this game. Yeah, they shouldn't. I mean, the, the, the Bengals games have all been close. Um, I, it just I, – I had said earlier in the year that – you're right. I, this looked like a, a pen win for the right. for the Bengals, Absolutely. but there was the 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 road game at the Jets, and then home games against the Falcons and the Panthers. And I said, mark it down. They're gonna lose one of those three. They always find a way to lose a team that they shouldn't lose to. I don't know that this is now considered a game that they shouldn't lose. They yeah, they're favored by more than a touchdown, but it just it, it that feels like it's too high of a number. Um, we we haven't talked about the defense yet, and it's. I, I guess it's fair to say this offense is limited. As good as they are against right. the run, they're Absolutely. not doing much against the pass. And the, how, how are they getting it done? This this defense at thirtieth and third down efficiency, thirty first in in passing yards allowed, thirty second and sat and uh, or thirty first in sacks and total pressures, and twenty ninth and first downs allowed per game. It just how, yeah. how are they staying in games with a limited offense and a porous defense like that? It's very much. Atlanta's offense being time of possession heavy. Okay. It's very much we're just going to play shell. We're going to try not to make any big mistakes. I mean, if, if if Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase hit a couple of big ones, then 
it's because Atlanta has screwed something up and it's a really bad sign for Atlanta. What they want to do with these guys is what they want to do with everybody is just, you know, keep it in front of you. Let's tackle when we can. Let's hope they don't, they make a mistake. If they don't, we're going to get to the 20. Everything's going to condense and we're just going to try to make a play. Last week against the Niners, they had two interceptions and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Those are the types of plays they hadn't made. So Atlanta, for as good as they feel about themselves, is still not a good football team. They're still real contingent on – they've got to make a couple of plays on defense. They can't turn the ball over on offense. They run the ball a ton, and their running backs have been really good with ball security. But, you know, if you drop – I mean, the margin is is so thin for Atlanta – if they fumble a ball, you know, and early in one of these, what turns out to be one of these eight play drives, it changes the whole game. You know, they really very much have to stay on schedule, not just on the down markers in terms of first, second, and third down. They've got to stay on schedule um, in the game. This is not, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to come from behind a ton, despite what we saw in LA, which they didn't finish off. You know, this, this is a team that's got to do, all the little things right all along the way to give itself a chance. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I know it's early in the week. You probably haven't broken everything down, but uh prediction for this game, how, how do you see it playing out on Sunday? I, I would pick the Bengals to win. I'm, I'm with you. The, the spread just based on what we've seen is a little too high, but who in the world knows? I mean, I, I still think that the Bengals are clear favorites. Atlanta is still limited. This is still a team with an NFL high 77 million dollars in dead money. I mean, they're just mm, wow. So, you know, they feel good about themselves and they should. They have earned the wins that they've gotten. They are formidable in the run game, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, like I say, things have still got to go so right for them. Um, and they've got to play sort of so near their their peak. Um, I think that's a tough ask on the road against the Cincinnati team that we know sort of at any moment can pop up and put 35 on you without thinking very hard about it. Yeah. Hit 30 for the first time all year last week. I think a lot of people are thinking that maybe they're hitting their stride and right. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, Cincinnati's a a, a clear favorite. If, if they're not, uh, you know, if Atlanta gets the run game rolling, we'll see. All right. Well, hey, I, I hope you have a great trip into town. I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast with us and giving us some insight to the Falcons and um, look forward to catching up with you in person on Sunday. Sounds good. All right. Thanks to Josh for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, Jay, uh, as we always do, take away for you from that. Well, I was curious what he was covering up with that background. I, I feel like I kind of need one of those back here with all mm-hmm. this. Still have part of my daughter's moving out stuff behind us. But but yeah, what what he talked about, the the offensive line really being the key to this. And I don't know that they expected that. Um all those guys, five guys with twenty one yards or more with with a run of twenty one yards or more. It's I I don't think anyone saw this coming. And it, it in this league and especially for a, a Bengals team that is or a Bengals fan base that is uh been wishing for for a quality offensive line for a while this it kind of shows what what a good one can do when when they don't have great pieces around them but you have a great offensive line that's really getting the job done and all of a sudden this team that was predicted to win four and a half games by vegas is sitting at three and three and right in the mix of the playoff race yeah i mean it's it, this, we'll talk we'll get a little bit more into this game here in a minute but it they're they're we keep they're plucky. 
They're just one of they these are. teams. They just they're in around they're in around every game. They're six no against the spread. Everyone's underestimating them. But I think once you reach this point, it's hard to continue to underestimate them, particularly when they do what they did last week to San Francisco. Um, all right. Arby's time, Jay. Uh, <laughs> I took the uh, floor last week. Uh, you have uh, any related Bengals insight extras or stories for me today? It, it's not near as entertaining as the trash room. But it was on on Monday. This this never happens. Like you don't have to wait in line to talk to a player. Um, but I not only waited in line to talk to a player on Monday, I waited in line to talk to a player in the practice squad room, and it was Jay Tefele. I wanted to talk to him about his big play and against the Saints, and obviously this run defense and what he can do replacing. DJ Reader and Josh Tupo. So I go to go in there and Charlie Goldsmith from the Inquirer is sitting down with him. They're like they're both sitting down talking like it's this this big one-on-one. And there is a there's an unwritten rule that if a guy has another guy one-on-one, you don't necessarily butt in. But it wasn't just Charlie sitting down with him. Dan Horde was waiting in line. And I just I just the irony just struck me that of, of all these these players in this locker room, Jay Tefele is the one that has a line of people waiting to talk to him. And Charlie was quick to point out that uh, Jay asked him to sit down, that, that Jay was totally out of breath. I don't know where he had just come from, but he's like, can we sit down and talk? So Charlie apologizes. He's like, I didn't mean to make it look like it was an exclusive. Uh, and then Dan Horde just wanted to line up an interview with Jay later in the week. So I did eventually get my chance to talk to Jay Tefele, but uh, very, very unusual to see a line to talk to her player in whose locker is back in the practice squad room. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, because you know, where, where he, where he's come from, but whatever. Uh, you know what though? But I think that's telling, I mean, he's a big, big storyline this weekend. He mm-hmm. really is. I mean, he is the, he's going to be perceived as the weak link. He's a dude that was cut against the number one rushing attack in the NFL looking to go right at I me. Mean, he's the run defending defensive tackle who, you know they're missing their top two. It's it's up to there's a lot on him to to try to hold up and not be a liability that they just keep going at over and over again. I'm sure Lou Anarumo will scheme up ways to give him help, knowing that it's so much is on him now. But that still, um, that's that's a it's a big ask. He is a he is a big storyline this week. Um, okay, so I have one. It's actually from Zach Taylor's press conference, um, but it just kind of made me laugh. We were talking about Ted Karras and I was asking a question about <laughs> Ted Karras and we were talking about him as a just this enthusiastic dude when it comes to protection and he points out that on Saturday night at he, he said 8:39 p.m. after the meeting had broken you know everybody it's Saturday night for the game like everybody's trying to go to bed noon kick the next day but there's Ted Karras calling his own meeting after the meeting. And he said, you know, we finished. I heard him talking about Okie Double Bugs with passion. That's the <laughs> highest level of passion you could imagine about Okie Double Bugs and different looks he saw. He wanted to make sure he got his point across. I walked away. Those are player moments where he clearly wanted to take it over. But he made me feel really good about how he would handle those looks the next day. And the meeting ended. It was over. But he decided to have another meeting at 839 right before the team meeting on Saturday night. I mean, it's just I love that. I mean, I love the concept of what is Okie Double Bugs. 
drugs. And I always love the way that <laughs> that coaches and and you know from head coach all the way down to players when they do kind of just randomly spout off play calls, you just realize the absurd language they speak. Like this happens all the time. Whenever they'll just start, they'll just rattle off some play. Like, Okie double bugs. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's hysterical. And I think, you know, it's, it's obvious that they think very highly of Ted Karras specifically because of moments like this. And he said, you know, yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to be a coach. He is a coach right now. That's yeah. what he pointed out. I mean, that's just, that's what he is. He, he absolutely loves it. Um, and uh and knows a lot about it but it's uh it's it's it was, it was funny to me i i enjoyed i enjoyed that now i want to know what the oaky double bugs <laughs> actually is so that i can see it in the game and know if ted did in fact get it right <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, if we'll ever find that out I, i'm curious too i have no idea what they're, what they're talking about there but it was funny because playing off of that i heard marcellus wiley doing an interview yesterday and he a former defensive lineman in, in the league and very good one and he was talking about those saturday night meetings and he said the only reason teams have those saturday night meetings is so that the players don't take off and start looking for women he said that <laughs> when they get into town at three or four and bed checks not to 11 he's like you'll cross state lines in that six or seven hours you know <laughs> where they're at he's like in baseball they come looking for you in football we go looking for them he's like they'll put that meeting right there at eight or eight thirty, just to kind of break up that window so guys aren't taking off and doing things they shouldn't do and uh here's ted Karras taking that meeting very very seriously and then having a meeting after the meeting yeah love it love it uh, okay, let's um, let's rock on to Jay's got stats. Jay, you got you got good stats. You got health stats, and uh, you know everybody, of course, is going to do the the wood knocking routine on this. But mm. we did this a lot last year. We pointed it out as the season progressed. Don't want to, you know, nobody wants to jinx anything or get anybody hurt. Uh, but particularly, you get the good news with Logan Wilson this week. Again, the Bengals thus far, at least. Have have been on a pretty good run of of health this season. Yeah, an incredible one, really. If you think about it, so what what struck me is I knew that the offensive line, all six or all five guys have started all six games, and I was curious when the last time that had happened. I mean, the last time was 2016, which was six years ago, but that I thought it was going to be further back than that. But then as I'm looking at the the list of starters. 17 of the 22 have started every single game this year. And really it's 19 of 22 because Mike Thomas started for T Higgins last week and he just, he played that first down play. And then Stanley Morgan came in on second down because they ran the ball. And then it was basically all Higgins after that. Um, and, and then same thing on defense back in week three at the jets, they started with two defensive tackles, um, or an extra defensive tackle with Josh Tupo. They had a five-man line, and Jermaine Pratt was not on the field, but he he played enough snaps to be like a starter in that game. So if you count Pratt other than that one first play blip and you count T. Higgins other than the first play blip last week, it's 19 of 22 starters that have started every single game this year. And now Higgins has come out of a couple of games, so yeah. it's sort of like a kind of a give and take on that. But for the most part, I mean, think about the Bengals' offense. I mean, they've had their 11 for pretty much every game. I mean, they really haven't missed hardly anybody outside of Higgins is the one that's kind of had to go out. 
the the only difference there would in weeks one and two they they started in twelve and they started with with Drew Sample as a second tight end to Hurst, um, and then since Sample's been out, they then they just start three wide with Tyler Boyd. Yeah, Tyler time. Boyd. But, I mean, really, they yeah. they've all played. I mean, they've all played mm-hmm. hot their percentage except for Higgins. And and on defense, it's Reader. I mean, Reader is the 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 big one, and you've got some depth pieces that you've that you've lost there. But you know, for the most part, and now we'll see what, how long Wilson misses. You know, your secondary has stayed. I mean, we talking about Dax Hill. Uh, we talked to Lou Anarumo about three snap. He can't get on the field, even though he backs up damn near every position back there because everybody's stayed healthy and has been previously the same way pretty much at linebacker. Both your edge rushers. You haven't needed to go down that line. You haven't had to bump Joseph Osai and see him in a full game as a pass rusher. Hendrickson has had – he's played through stuff. Hubbard's played through stuff, um, but they've been there. B.J. Hill. I mean, it's pretty much everybody. You know, it's six games in. Uh, you're starting to see a lot of attrition uh, against teams that they go against and play, um, and the Bengals haven't had that yet. I mean, I'm sure it will come. I'm sure there will be some, uh, but we did say the same thing last year, and, and it didn't. So yeah. I don't, you know, that stuff is hard to quantify because when they're really injured, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never a blame the training staff guy, uh, so I'm not going to be a praise the training staff guy uh, when they when they do stay healthy, but I do think when you see a trend over a number of years where you're always at a better percentage, and they do handle the team a little differently than most. We saw that right. this offseason. We saw that through training camp. They have a lot of focus on avoiding soft tissue stuff early in the season. is a huge emphasis for them because they know how that's the stuff that lingers and gets guys out of games and don't go too hard early in the year. Um, you know, maybe that's a part of where you're seeing that payoff there. Yeah. I mean, just the willingness to let Leo Collins have a bet day from, from the start of the season on, on Wednesdays, there's, there is, it's, it's very player friendly in that regard. They also really value guys that play through stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. that that's, I mean, that's real. They, they value guys that are willing to play through that, you know, football matters to them in that way. It's a, they view that as a way of sh- of a player showing that it matters and they're willing to play through some pain and not check out like we've seen happen around <laughs> here before. Which reminds me, by the way, this is why you should never read Bleacher Report. Sorry, I hate to do this directly, but like they had some story about um, – every team's trades that they should make or team's trades that they should make and had the Bengals acquiring William Jackson the (laughs) third. I don't like, honestly, outside of Carlos Dunlap, is there a single player in the league that they would have a less, less chance of actually wanting to put, bring back into this building? Cordy Glenn. What? Cordy Glenn. But he's not not still in the league. I mean, Cordy, I mean, he's got a, He's got a seat on the throne somewhere. He's hanging out at his house. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just I, I can't even believe when I hear things like that. I mean, that's there is no shot. No, 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 no. He, he I mean, and not to mention the comments he made after he left, much less everything that went on while he was yeah. here. No, no William Jackson the third is coming back. Carlos Dunlap is not moving back into his, uh, you know, place that he put up for sale after that game either. Um, all right, let's go growler bet time, Jay. Um, so I had an itch coming into this game. I felt like with growler bet, we'd kind of been on a run of doing a certain type. And, you know, I love a good time of game. I love a time of game. 
because it gives you, the listener, something to look for knowing what time you said. So we've got something for you. This week, we're going to go a time a gamer. If you can get within, you know what, Jay? There were two winners last week, and I am not having that. I'm going diabolical within two seconds either direction. Well, on time of game, don't we? Whoever's closest wins, right? Unless people pick the same exact time, but because we had that earlier this year, it was a time of game win, and one was closer than the other. So, yeah, I don't care. I want no one winning. No, I don't. Okay. I don't care if it's mul- multiple <laughs> would be closest. That's correct. There will only be one winner if there is one. I want there to be none. <laughs> okay, two winners can only give out so much optimistic Bobby's beer. Okay, so I'm going time of game win. Will Atlanta's first run of 15-plus yards occur? You can't say zero either. I'm not giving away. They don't have one. On the year, Jay, they have 15 rushes Mm -hmm. of 15-plus yards through six games. They're one of the best rushing attacks in football. They've got the running quarterback on top of it all. The Bengals have proven susceptible to some runs here. Lately, we, we've we discussed the run defense. There could be multiple. I think you would expect there to be multiple, but when? Yeah, the key is they can't be 44 and 24 and 31 like last week. Um, I think it'll come. I think it'll come fairly early, but it'll be there'll be a feeling out phase. I I'm going to go 737 of the second quarter. And you you mentioned it, 15, 15 runs of 15 yards or more this year. Four of those were by Cordero Patterson, who is not playing in this game. So only 11 other ones of guys that actually are playing in this game. But I think Mariota, one of those guys will get out uh, midway through the second quarter and, and get one of 15 or more. So like I said, back to the palindrome theme with a 737 second quarter. All right, here's my theory. I think Bengals are going to want the ball. They're going to want to get the get ahead. You know, we've talked a lot about trying to get ahead. Uh, we've we've over discussed. Um, well, never over discussed for me, but the coin toss and whether they <laughs> should take it or not. But I think it's been probably discussed more than you think. Um, so I I think they go. They do a long drive because they do long drives. Falcons first possession. I think they get one. They, that's kind of been a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they have so much action that they do that they're working up during the week. And they, I think they'll surprise them with something and catch them for a 15 yarder on the first drive. So I'm going to say 643 first quarter Atlanta Falcons. Ooh. 643 in the first quarter for the Atlanta Falcons. Got to be within two seconds either direction. So that's a four-second window for you, and that is the time of the snap on the game book is what we look at for that. Time of snap on the game book is uh, is what that ends up being. So we'll tweet it out when it happens during the game, if we can, assuming we can remember, which we will <laughs> do our best to do, uh, so you can check and see if you won. But hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter or pdaner at theathletic.com with the word growler somewhere in your subject header. And uh, the more creative ways you do that in the subject header, the happier it makes me if that's important to you. Uh, So thanks, everybody that participates. We always love seeing all of you. Uh, And also, don't forget, send us your Arby's. We're taking Arby's stories. If you have some, whether it's from you going to the game, tailgate, interaction with a player, really anything. 
Any insight, extras, or stories that you have, send them in. We will read them on the show. We love having your, hearing your stories. We read the Icky Woods story uh, on Tuesday that was hysterical, uh, which I really, really enjoyed, uh, particularly his Every Day I'm Shuffling t-shirt with a picture of himself on it. I need to get some t-shirts with my own face on it, Jay. Wait, I have some. From the Daner Cornell Classic. Oh, yeah. But they're very small. It's not as obvious. I, it should be more obvious, like full on. <laughs> I, I know a place that can do that for you. Which reminds me of, I really enjoyed, someone asked, um, was a, I think it was last week, asked Burrow um, about the cigar photo or talked about the cigar photo oh, yeah. and said, oh, yeah, do you do you have that up in your house somewhere? He's like, uh, yeah, I don't like put pictures of myself up in my house. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is, I'm not, <laughs> and I, you know what? I've always thought that when you see, you know, players or people who are in power or whatever. Like, what is it like to just have a giant picture of yourself and be like, yeah, let's hang that up above the fireplace. I want to look at me, just me. Very weird. Uh, I think if, if he ever wins a Super Bowl, I think he would put a picture of himself with the Lombardi uh, up in his house. Maybe, no, maybe he no, waits till I the don't. end of his career. That's a good, and you know, it's a good follow for next week. Cause I don't think so. I think it would be him with his arms around somebody holding the Lombardi. I don't think yeah. he would just put a picture of himself holding Lombardi. It'd be him and Chase or him and whoever. Yeah. With the the or the team photo or something or something like that. I don't I, I still even in that case, I just think it's just a lot to just have just a picture of you somewhere. <laughs> it just is. Although, you know what, I might find a picture of the year I won the DCC, one of the one of the two years I won the DCC and have to Maybe I get that, but I have a I have partner both times. It's you got to be a team player. Uh, all right, we got a couple run passer boots for you, Jay. You've you've cooked cooked these two up for us, so let's let's hear it. All right, so um, this week we have two different ones. The first one is which will be greater: Falcons rushing yards, Kevin Huber net punting yards. Or Bengals total yards on their first two drives. Now, obviously, the, the Falcons' great rushing attack, it's going to shrink the game, you would assume. So that's that's fewer chances for Huber, especially if the Bengals' offense is going well. The, the Huber punt, net, net punting yards could be all over the place. And then the Bengals famously have struggled to get going early. Maybe why they take the, the coin toss like you, you referenced earlier. Um, so which of those three do you think will be greater? Well, I mean, yeah, how many punts will Huber have, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the hard one here is how many punts? Three? I have the averages. Would you like to hear them? Sure. <clears throat> the Falcons average 165.2 rushing yards per game. Kevin Huber averages 146.7 net punting yards. The Bengals. Average 46 yards on their first two drives. <laughs> yeah. That's why I, I had some numbers written down here of what I thought. And so I had – I'm going to run with Falcons rushing yards. I had 138. And then I am going to say three-ish Huber punts. Uh, so right in that 120s area. And I'm going to say 42 yards on the two drives. So I think the Bengals keep that stretch going. Uh, and, and on the Morrison drives, call them what they are. They're the Morrison drives. 
Okay, you earned that with that that work that that you did that week. Um, so I'm gonna say 42. So run with Rush, pass on Huber, boot the first two drives. I'm gonna boot my own stat. I'm gonna I'm gonna run with Bengals drives. Wow, think, you think the breakout? I, I I think they could their first two drives if. If the Falcons have the ball first, they they could stop the Falcons and take over at their own ten, their own fifteen, put together a couple scoring drives, and all of a sudden that 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 numbers up in the the mid one hundreds. Um, I just I I do I think this is the week that that offense gets going, and um, I I think it's going to be a not a big game for Huber because I don't think they're going to be punting a whole lot. So I'm going to boot him, and then I'll I'll, I'll pass on the the Val- Falcons rushing yards. It's I don't I don't think they get to 165 this week. I, I think they they get well over 100 against this banged up Bengals defense, but it's not going to be that crazy. So uh, I'll run with the Bengals first two drives, pass on Falcons rushing, and boot Huber. That's going to be the key number of the game, right? I mean, Falcons rushing yardage number. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it, it when if, if you just told me that number today. Uh, over under, uh, I, on win or loss. I mean, I where I would be stunned. One thirty seven, <laughs> right? Like under one thirty seven. Love the Bengals' chances. Over yeah. one thirty seven, they're in jeopardy. Right? Yeah. Yep, I agree. I think if you, if you it's they where they're really getting out, and maybe higher. Maybe that needs to be higher. Maybe it's more like one fifty. Uh, when you consider just kind of how poor Mariota is when he's forced to throw it. Not I shouldn't say that. I mean the man barely had it in completion, but it's so based off of them being so run heavy is where his so much of where his efficiency comes from. If you turn it into a game where he's having to throw it in pure passing downs, true pass sets, um it's in your favor. And so I, I that goes back to their ability to contain the rushing game a little bit and we'll see if they can. It goes back to what Lou says. He doesn't care about yards. He cares about points. And they, they could have a lot of rushing yards, and the Bengals' defense could bow up in the, the red zone like they have all year, and that, that still is a recipe for them to win. The, the second run passer boot, I flipped it. I went with, it, again, it's what will be greater, Bengals' rushing yards. Not Falcons, Bengals' rushing yards. And then as a hat tip to your story, Joe Burrow passing yards on third down. And then the last one is Falcons red zone percentage. They are fifth in the league in red zone offense. The Bengals third in the league in red zone defense. Okay. So I'm going to say, I think Burrow third down passing yards. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to run with it. I I do. I think there's an explosive in there. You know, I, 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 I think that he's going to find a way to get a big play on one of these third downs as, as teams start trying to come up. I think that's the next thing I told you earlier this week. I think it's going to be a T Higgins game. Uh, I, I could see a T Higgins sluggo I call it here. Now T Higgins sluggo on a third and four. No, I should go to my stat third and three T Higgins mm-hmm. sluggo uh, over the top. If I'm predicting a play that I think can get those numbers up pretty high. So I'm going to say that over Bengals rushing yards. I still think they're going to be pass heavy against, you know, Falcons defense isn't great at, at much of anything um, outside of Grady Jarrett wrecking things. But I would say 
I think it's going to look a lot more like what they did against the Saints uh, last week than going to some sort of heavy run thing. So I'll and I'll I'll boot Falcons red zone percentage. I just mm-hmm. the Bengals red zone defense I just think is is too strong. Yeah, I've got the same exact order. I've, I've got you've already made your picks, but but Joe Burrow is averaging eighty five point seven passing yards on third downs. I I do. I think it's going to be higher than that this week. Um, so I'm I'm same exact as you running with Burrow pass on Bengals rush yards, and I could see the red the Falcons maybe being one of three in the red zone uh, for thirty three. The Bengals aren't going to run for a ton of yards, but they're going to run for more than thirty three. All right, prediction time and why, Jay Morrison, you are up. So I'm going to walk back everything I just said. <laughs> I, I, I think this can be an, ex, an explosion game for the Bengals offense, but I'm, I'm not going to predict it. I I just – I've seen this too many times, a, a game that they should win handily, um, a game coming off of a big win with a little bit of a letdown. I think they win, but I think it's – Closer and lower scoring than people might think. So I'm going Bengals 24, Falcons 21. Okay. Um, I'm I'm with you. I I do think that the Falcons are going to get some points. Um, but I did just I just think they're very much can be exploited, and uh, you know, with the Bengals passing game, and I think there's a lot of opportunities. Um. For them to even find some explosives in this as, as teams start to see what they put on tape last week. Um, I, I think there's points there. I, and I do think the Bengals red zone will continue to be the difference because I think the Falcons are going to run it. I think they're going to run it consistently, mm-hmm. but I think they're going to have a harder time running it down in the red zone as most teams do. And I don't trust them being able to get enough from Marcus Mariota down there. Um to to put them over the top. So I have Bengals 27, Falcons 23. Um, you know, one field goal kind of uh one red zone stop kind of being the difference um for the Bengals and the Falcons covering going to 7 and 0 against the spread this year. Uh but the Bengals getting the win. That that feels like where this one lands for me. All right, Jay. That wraps us up. Do you have any anything else you'd like to uh to drop in? I, well, I, I we talked about the Falcons being plucky. They're they they are a very bad pass interference calling Grady Jarrett away from being on a four game winning streak right now. Yeah, I I mean this. I, I if you're a Bengals fan, I think you should be a little uneasy about this game because again, I just I've seen this happen a lot of times. But I'm I'm sticking with my pick. I'm sticking Bengals by three. But I think this is going to be a pretty entertaining game a close game uh for, for out throughout much of the afternoon yeah um those third down red zone plays you know the mm-hmm. high leverage plays very much feel like they could be the difference in a game that's that is expected to have limited possessions as we're starting to see in the way the falcons like to play the way the Bengals have been playing because of teams forcing them to so um those those high leverage moments worth even more when the possessions are lower. So keep an eye on those. The good news for the Bengals are, as you know, because you listen to this podcast, uh, Joe Burrow is a beast in those spots, and they hope to continue it. So, all right. Thanks to everybody for listening here. That podcast crowd will, of course, be back on Sunday evening. Thankfully, a home Sunday at one, Jake. 
God, that just, it just feels so good. It makes me so warm and fuzzy inside to have a home Sunday at one. It's been since the opener. It's been since the opener forever that we've gotten that delightful spot. So you will have the walkout with you on a Sunday night. uh, And uh, we look forward to dropping that in your uh, podcast platforms then. So enjoy the game, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. It's going to be a beautiful weekend in Cincinnati. So have fun. Get outside. And we will uh, we'll talk to you Sunday night. Have a good one, everybody.